The Late Seating Podcast is brought to you by The Finch Files, stories from San Francisco and beyond. In The Finch Files, longtime radio reporter Peter Finch and his friends hit the streets of the San Francisco Bay Area looking for interesting stories to tell. The Finch Files is available on the internet as a podcast. Just go to finchfiles.net and voila, you're there. Or you could go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or MixCloud and search for Peter Finch. The Finch Files, stories from San Francisco and beyond. Another podcast that we'd like you guys to check out is The Tiny Show, the show about nothing and everything at the same time, with three grown men, Doug, Pet, and Tyler, saying, I am Batman more than the Dark Knight himself. It's a comedy show to help you relax on the way to work or the drive home. You can find The Tiny Show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash the dash tiny dash show or just go to soundcloud and search for the tiny show hello podcast listeners before we start the show this week i would just like to let you know that due to an audio problem my audio feed is not as good as you're used to you can still hear me it just sounds very canny like i'm talking to you from a can and by audio problems, I mean I turned on the wrong microphone to record this podcast. So, just a quick apology, and to let all you know that I'm stupid. Hello everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a gem, a classic, or a highly reviled film, and we take a fresh look at it, see if it's earned the reputation that it's uh, it's made for itself. And uh, this year, this year, awesome, way to go. Yeah, this year, no more, we're only doing one podcast a year. Next year, we're, we're going to do uh, the GoBots movie. Oh, Bye, everybody. I can't wait till I'm next so year. Done. This movie broke my brain. I, I don't even know what year it is we're, anymore. We're off to a rip-roaring start. Are you my high school guidance counselor? Can you please tell me not to do podcasts about movies? <laughs> Go so into YouTube videos. You need to make YouTube videos with puppets. Oh, thank you. Um, anyway, this week, we reviewed that um, classic film about Middle East tensions and... Um, Cultural mix-ups, uh, uh, mix-ups. Um, what the hell? Ignorance. Cultural ignorance. I was trying to sound smart. Fuck it. I can't do that this morning. Not after watching this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I'm giving it away again about how I feel before we even get to the review. We decided to watch Ishtar. Right, Steve. <sighs> that was that was the decision we made. Yes, you know, in a sense, we the the ultimate final decision was left to me, but <laughs> you right. were the one who brought Ishtar into this conversation. So I do it's, feel it's, it is a shared responsibility. Look, I pulled a trump. Okay, I left it up to you so that I could, you know, blame you if everything went horribly wrong, so that I can escape blame. That's how these things work. <laughs> I knew that Ishtar was a bad movie to watch. I said he wasn't supposed to watch it, but he watched it. What are you gonna do? That's why nobody listens to his podcast. That why that's why he's about yeah. to be kicked off the internet. For those people that don't know, Ishtar was a movie that came out in 1987. Um, it was a box office flop, um, and it was a big, you know, a, a big release. Everyone was talking about it. Actually, everyone was talking about how awful it was before it was released. Even <laughs> um, 
But it's kind of gone down in history as the biggest box office failure ever. At least it was at the time. Um, and it's kind of become the butt of jokes. If you wanted to make a joke about a bad movie, you pull out Ishtar. And nothing really has come along after Ishtar that I can think of that equals its this kind of reputation. Can you think of a movie since Ishtar? Where no. It, it's become like a punchline? No. I mean, there have been high-profile bombs yeah. since then. Maybe the closest I can think of is maybe something like Battlefield Earth. Yeah, but that's even true. but even Battlefield Earth, I think people compare it to Ishtar. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I want to hear that discussion today on Film Review. We're going to be comparing Battlefield Earth to Ishtar, <laughs> and then we'll be swallowing cyanide. <laughs> Too late, my friend. <laughs> I'll not be discussing these films today. <laughs> um. Ishtar, as I said, was released in 1987. It was directed by Elaine May, produced by Warren Beatty, written by Elaine May, and probably a few other people. I can't imagine that this movie didn't have some other ghost writers in there. Um, and starred Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty, Isabella Jani, Charles Grodin, and Jack Weston. Uh, music by, oh my god, Bajwa? Bajawa. Bajdai Bajwa. It's foreign, whatever. People, <laughs> you, you ugly know. American, how dare you? <laughs> Dave Grusin and Paul Williams, who had the unenviable task of writing all the awful songs that were in this movie, and he is quoted as saying it was the most fun he had ever had working on a film because he loved writing intentionally bad songs. Don't understand what I'm talking about? You will, because it's the only goddamn joke in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that what Paul Williams always did anyway? Watch it. (laughs) Rainbow Rainbow Connection is an anthem now. So you (laughs) back off. Cinematography by uh, Vittorio 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 Storaro. You do it then. I don't know. Vittorio (laughs) Storaro. Hey, fuck you. Let's just do it's good magic fellas. time. Hey, no. <laughs> sorry. Edited by Richard B. Oh my God, Richard P. Sirning Sirinzione. Thank you, Sirinzione. Oh, finally, some American names: William H. Reynolds and Stephen A. Rudder. Um, it was distributed by Columbia Pictures. Um, it ran. According to this, it was 107 minutes. But, man, it felt like days. <laughs> it, um, are, you, are you sure this wasn't longer than the uh, director's cut of Return of the King? Are you yeah, sure? Hey, hey, guys, if you ever want to prove uh, Einstein uh, right, you can put on this movie and you can make 107 minutes feel like weeks. <laughs> Time dilation is real. <laughs> it was budgeted... The budget was $51 million. It went way over budget for a movie like this. And its box office was only $14 million. Oh, and as a side note, it only came out on DVD Blu-ray two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't were exactly clamoring on. for it. Now, I need to know, you didn't watch the director's cut of this, did you? No, no, I watched whatever I, whatever the Theatrical cut was. release, yeah. yeah. Whatever they had yeah. on Amazon. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. I think we've primed the audience enough. I think it's time. Have we built up their expectations too high? I wonder. I don't. I don't know. I don't want to relive it. Not even through narrative. <laughs> Steve! Look, it's only an hour and a half of a movie. We're going to get through this in no time. You start okay. the plot summary while I bash my head in with a brick. <laughs> you drink. You go drink four beers. And hey, everyone, uh, before we do this, I approach this movie with, with good intentions. I, this is a notoriously bad film, and I honestly approached it um, thinking it can't be as bad as... as as it's rumored to be. In fact, there are people who love this film. Apparently, Quentin Tarantino loves this film, and it has a, a slight cult following behind it. After having seen it, I don't understand why, but it does explain a lot about Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Steve, do the plot. Start the plot. Uh, uh, okay, 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 okay. So we meet our lead characters played by Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. They they are a an aspiring songwriter duo. Um, Rogers and Clark. Rogers and Clark. Yeah, Beatty, Warren Beatty is is Rogers and Dustin Hoffman is Clark. And yep. uh, we we meet them in kind of a, a montage of them trying to write a song that for, uh, that becomes sort of their signature song for the yeah. the movie. And yeah, that and 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 as you said Jason in in the the introduction, that's really the only joke in the movie is that they're just really bad songwriters yeah if you don't understand in case you don't get it they're not only bad songwriters they're bad singers it was as well which is kind of um bad for someone who wants to be singer songwriters and if you don't get the joke they repeat it several thousand times during the film so don't worry because you're going to get to hear these two sing and sing and sing and fucking sing yeah, they um, and like they they er, there's an early shot where they're like staring longingly at a, a Simon and Garfunkel album cover. Like yep. they they have these huge aspirations to be these great uh, singer songwriters, and yeah. of course they're not. They're terrible. They they there's a scene where they're they're playing like in a nightclub or a bar, and they're they're playing. Uh-huh. The they're song trying to they get an wrote. agent. Yeah, yeah, they're trying they, to get an agent, and they eventually yeah. do get an agent. They they find this. They, it's one of those agents. You can tell it's always a good agent. When you can just call him up from the phone book, you yeah, know, that's how. And you know he's drinking, and he's, and he's drinking while you're talking to him on the phone. He's drinking at his desk in his poorly lit office, <laughs> um, and you know, he they so he they 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 talk him into coming to see them mm-hmm. to see them perform, and uh, he he comes to see them perform, and he says, "You know what, guys, you should." You should forget about songwriting, and you should just sing. And you should si- you should sing people songs. You that, should do covers. Yeah. yeah, you should sing songs. That and he claims that he gave this advice to Tony Bennett. He said, <laughs> which because I'm sure this guy, this the guy with like the office, the the agent's office at the strip mall. Yeah, you know, is a big. Yeah, when he was four years Tony old, Bennett. he gave he gave this advice to yeah. Tony Bennett. He tells Tony Bennett, just just sing songs that people already know. That way, even if they don't like you, they can have something to applaud for because they like yeah, the song. Yeah, exactly. Good advice. Yeah, good advice, especially if you like Rogers and Clark are fucking terrible. Uh, awful um, beyond compare. Awful beyond they are, compare. They are the lounge singers in the waiting room in hell. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, they're not even good enough to get into hell. They're they're in the waiting room. Um, mm-hmm. But 
So, and th- at, at some point in this this first sort of this first act, don't they have a little bit of a mini falling out? Um, and... Well, the second time they then they cut to them performing a second time. Yeah, and now they're they're performing uh, "Little Mama." I think that's the name of the song. And um, the for whatever reason, the agent is there again, yeah. and they're awful, and they get booed. We don't get to see that though. He just mentions it at the end when he says, yeah. "Generally, generally they don't." The agents like generally they don't boo afterwards, and they're disheartened. <laughs> and um, he tells them, "Look, I can get you work either in Honduras or in Morocco. Um, it's not paying anything, but you know I can get you work." And uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, who is uh, let's just put this out there. He's kind of painted as like a ladies' man. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, the ladies call him Hawk. Apparently, according to him. Between the two, between <laughs> yeah. Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. Hey, look, Warren Beatty is playing against type. Don't you? Warren that? Beatty is trying to play a, a southern man <laughs> with just the barest attempt at a southern accent. The barest occasional attempt, because <laughs> it's not always there. No, it's not. <laughs> Um, we we should describe a little bit of the two characters before we hit their flashback because this oh, movie needed right. a flashback at the very beginning. A flat? No, not at the very beginning. Like ten or fifteen minutes in. It oh decides, yeah, that's oh, true. Fuck it, let's have a flashback. Yeah. Really? Oh, so okay. they have a little bit of a falling out, and and Clark. Uh, it's his name is Chuck, right? Yeah, Dustin Chuck. Hoffman's character is Chuck. Yeah. yeah, Chuck. Chuck wants to go to a bar and drink, and and Lyle follows after him into the bar. Because they're both upset and they don't feel like they're going anywhere or whatever, and we have a flashback of, of a good old fashioned uh, everything goes out of focus. Freaking flashback for these characters, where we discover that okay, I need I need to understand this. It was 1987. It, it has been uh, shown that they've only known each other for five months. Right, but they're right. supposedly the bestest, closest friends ever. So we flash back to before they met, which we would assume would be somewhere around 1986. But somehow Lyle has managed to find himself a job from 1954. <laughs> yes, he's he's an ice cream man. He's not just an ice cream man; he's a good humor man yes. in an old fashioned ice cream truck, open air ice cream truck. And those haven't existed in... I don't even know how long. And don't they live, like, in New York City? Yeah, they live so in New York City. There's there's 1950s ice cream men driving through yeah. the streets of New York City? And, and this is one of the first examples of... There was an attempt at a joke that would have been really funny. And I'm not going to place this on Elaine May. I am going to place this firmly... On the two main leads, and that is, there is a joke set up in this scene in which Warren Beatty, uh, Lyle, is lost in thought trying to come up with song lyrics while driving the truck, and behind him on the street, there are hordes of kids begging him to stop the car, right. the truck, so that they can get ice cream, and he doesn't see any of that. That joke in and of itself is funny, but doesn't work because, much like the main characters, Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty think they can be comedic actors and can't. <laughs> oh. We're we're still we're, we're still early, man. You got to you got to you got to you got to keep it together. No. 
Okay, so let's 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 fast forward a little bit. So so Lyle, you do it. Lyle has like a, a wife, right? Lyle is married, and yes. they they go are they are they're at a wedding or a nightclub or something, and uh, they're at a they're at a, I guess just like a supper club. Yeah, like the the Ox Club or something. One of those not pla- not a high level one. Yeah, so what, some place that white people go. Yeah, to have to have dinners where everybody exactly. eats the same thing and it's like five dollars. Um, right, exactly. And yeah, and and Dustin Hoffman's guy Chuck is there, singing at the piano. Yeah, and there's uh, he, there's a joke about there's an old couple there who is like it, this year is their fifty third wedding anniversary and they've been coming here for the last three years in a row and Dustin Hoffman yeah. says and I when they were here last year I promised them that if they came back for their fifty third anniversary that I would have a song mm. for them and he sings right. them a song that he wrote for them and it's all about death like in the song yeah, it's one of all them about- has died. <laughs> It's all about death, about how I left you love in my will, or something along those lines. Yeah. Again, a funny joke, destroyed by a bad performance. Yeah, it just falls flat. It just yeah. it just lays there like a dead fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, thankfully, for whatever reason, Lyle is there with his wife and sends uh, Chuck a note saying, Hi, I'm a songwriter, and I think you're... I think you're awesome, and uh, they start playing piano and trying to write a song, leaving their long-suffering. Oh, that's right. Chuck has a girlfriend, Carol Kane. Yeah. Who, uh, boy, she deserves better because it's very apparent that Chuck does not give a damn about her or <laughs> anything. <laughs> um, and they sit there and they write songs and they uh, become addicted to each other. Um, it's kind of well established that Lyle is dumb. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, that was a very subtly uh, made point. Yeah, no. I don't want to lay down. Oh, okay, so uh, they go uh, eventually during this flashback they uh, Lyle loses his wife. His wife leaves him and uh, Chuck loses his girlfriend and uh, then they cut to scenes where we get to see Hawk's moves in a bar when he's trying to get Lyle a new girlfriend, which is just, I don't, I can't, I don't <laughs> believe for a second any of it. How is he the, uh... Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> they both quit their jobs, and apparently they've been living on savings, and... Uh, the height of humor, Dustin Hoffman attempts to kill himself. <laughs> Everybody what, loves a good suicide joke. In what could have been, an, and again, another yeah. funny scene when he's on the ledge and his mother and father and then the rabbi show up to talk him back off the ledge. Could have been a funny scene, but it yeah. was just neutered by bad performances. And uh, then we go back to the present. And they're like, and let's take the job in Marrakesh. In Morocco. Yeah, in Mar- yeah, in Mar- Morocco. Is yeah. It, no, it's Morocco. It's, yeah. They're not going to Marrakesh. You crazy. No. <laughs> Sorry. But now we cut to the place where the movie should have started. Which is <laughs> somewhere in a desert somewhere, Professor British Guy and his, and his friend in in somewhere in the Middle East, have discovered a map that uh, shows that 
It is prophesied that there will be two messengers. Hmm. Who will uh, show that the leader is bad? Yeah. <laughs> or something. It's like you. You know what I thought when I watched this scene? I thought, oh, somebody watched an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> Or maybe they saw Jewel in the uh, yeah Bernardo yeah and that's thought the they other could one, make yeah. it better, and so uh, the, but before they can get their discovery of the map, the, the assistant uh, they get attacked by somebody uh, with with people with guns, and the assistant drives away, runs to his uh, apartment, and calls his sister who is played by uh, a Johnny, and says, Hey, you have found the map, and uh, I've hidden it, and they're never going to find it. Uh-oh, someone's here to sword me to death. And then he gets <laughs> sorted to death. <laughs> and then we are um, back... Oh, we were on the plane. There, we're flying in, they're right. flying into Morocco. It was at this point that I actually said openly... Please stop singing. Because they're singing on the plane. They're trying to rework through some fucking song. And they land in the airport and it's, you know, crowded and there's foreign people. Well, I guess they're not foreign. It's their own country. But they've landed in the made-up country of Ishtar. Right? Yeah. 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 And one of the first things that struck me was there must be a lot of English speakers in Ishtar because all of the announcements over the intercom were in English. Which were, were things like, anyone found outside after sunset will be arrested. Ishtar is, you know, a bad place and we are a totalitarian government. But it, none of it was in any kind of Arabic language. I can't, couldn't, they, everything was in English. I well, didn't understand you know, that part. It's an international port city. It's very, you know, people are always coming and going from exotic lands, and everybody knows that English is the language of, of people who need to talk to each other who don't know each other's language. Oh, I you see. Know? Just like in Star Wars. Exactly. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I can't remember why Lyle leaves. They've split up for a second. Lyle has to find a bathroom? Or? No, I think, yeah, he, he's going to go to the bathroom, and, and Chuck tells him to, to go get them some coffee. And to, mm-hmm. and to make sure to ask how much it is before he pays for it. Yeah. Because I guess Lyle is like a five-year-old and he doesn't... <laughs> don't, now, honey, don't give him too much money. Then while Chuck is alone, um, this uh, person comes up and um, Chuck assumes that this person is a man and that the man is hitting on him because we have to start off with a little gay panic. Yep. Um, and he's like, no, look, it's okay if that's how you want to live, but that's not the way I'm going to. And uh, until this person that's all dressed up in robes gives him an unneeded boob flash, where she just has to flash him a boob to yep. show, hey, I'm a girl. Now, this was completely unnecessary because there was no way in hell that anyone looking at the face of Isabel Najani would ever think no. that she was a boy ever in any on any place ever. I think this, I mean, this is another attempt at a joke 
that just is falls. it? Yeah, yeah. Be, well, because yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I guess somebody must have thought it was funny that Isabella Johnny, who you know, one of the most beautiful women in the world, and at this point she's at, sort of at her peak as an international star when this movie is made. She's just a gorgeous, yeah. renowned beauty. Mm-hmm. And people were like, wouldn't it be funny if everybody thinks she's a guy? Because this is it, the, the mere fact that she is a woman is brought up repeatedly in the movie as though that, yeah. her, her, the fact that she is female is, it's some, is somehow innately mm-hmm. funny. But this whole gender, gender gay thing is so funny that they have to do it twice in the film. <laughs> anyway, but that comes later. That comes, that comes later. Yeah. In this one, she's like, my life is in danger. I need you to switch your luggage and clothes and I need your passport and do this for me and I will be forever grateful and Chuck agrees. He agrees. She convinces him you can get another passport from the embassy. It's easy breezy. No no problems. I know you don't know me but I'm very earnest and Chuck's like okay and she's also like don't tell anybody and he's like okay and seems legit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we uh, go. Um, Lyle, Lyle comes back. Right? Yeah, and, Lyle, and and Chuck tells oh, him that the, his stuff right. was stolen. And he needs to go. Lyle has to go to Morocco alone. Right. Because right. they go to the embassy, and the embassy is like, "You can't get another passport. You're insane." In which <laughs> Chuck. Chuck freaks out and punches a hole through the wall and starts saying, this is all my fault, everything's ruined, but then Lyle has to go to the gig in Morocco by himself, and Chuck goes back to his hotel room. Wait, does he go to yeah, his hotel he, room? Yeah, and he meets Charles Grodin. Right, Charles Grodin playing Jim Morrison? Harrison. Harrison. Wouldn't it be hilarious Jim if he Morrison. was playing Jim Morrison? <laughs> Hello, yeah, I'm Jim I Morrison. The, I was the lead was singer the, of a rock and roll band. I was band. in the CIA the whole time trying to bring down the hippie culture from the inside. <laughs> um, and he's a CIA guy, and he recruits Lyle and puts a bug on him. Uh, Lyle does uh, Not Lyle, well, Chuck. Chuck. He puts a bug on Chuck because uh, with a pen, yeah, there's yeah. a bug in the pen, and he tells him to keep the pen, and keeps the pen and um, hey you want to work for the CIA because things are bad here and we need an inside guy and and we do this all the time apparently and <laughs> I'll pay you 150 bucks a week to do it and of course uh, Chuck agrees so he's easily recruited he just has a plate of food that he's eating like a five year old <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and then we cut to Lyle in Morocco playing the gig, which is, I guess, is kind of like in this hotel kind of yeah. deal. And it's not going well for Lyle by himself. He just wants to play uh, Simon and Garfunkel standards, and everyone's shouting out like, "Play Free Bird" or "Yellow Rose of Texas" yeah, and a yeah. whole bunch of other crap. But oh, he's saved because Chuck shows up. Apparently, um, Jim Morrison, that's his name throughout the rest of the review, I don't care. <laughs> Jim it. Morrison got a pull in the consulate, embassy, whatever, and got him to get to Morocco. Isn't that great? 
Now the movie can keep going. Yay! So they they play the gig and because it's a movie and it, I guess it could happen. They're a hit. People love them. They think they're awesome. And um, they... What happens? Oh my god. Lyle goes back to the hotel room and Chuck goes to meet Jim Morrison He again. meets Jim Morrison again and he that's when Jim tells him... Uh, no, no, no. It happens in reverse because remember, what happens is because we have to have lots of confusing bullshit <laughs> to make it a comedy. Um, yes. Lyle is alone in the room. Uh, boy girl comes in and tries to take the suitcase. And Lyle tackles boy girl. Thinks, again, thinks that boy girl is a boy. Boy girl kisses him hard on the mouth for some reason. <laughs> How else are you going to prove that you're a woman? We get another scene of gay panic. <laughs> and and then, he, he fills her up, and he's like, yeah, hey, he wait, you have up. boobs. Hey, wow. Guys <gasps> you are help. a girl. <laughs> and she tells him, go and get a... You have to go to some place and get a blind yeah. camel and... And... Um, he's supposed to meet somebody. Yeah, he's supposed to meet somebody. Yeah, and he'll be known. Like, that's why he's supposed to buy the blind camel. She says, go buy a blind camel and somebody will make contact with you, right? Right, right. he's like, okay. Yeah. Sounds good to me. You're nice. (laughs) Both of these guys, by the way, instantly fall in love with her every time they see her. Yeah. Yeah. And and her shtick is the same each time. Every time she shows up, she has to tell some heart-wrenching story, and she cries a little bit. In fact, I don't think that there's a scene in this where she doesn't cry. I honestly, every time she shows up, she's like, I'm in danger, and I need your help. A tear rolls down cheek, and it's like, oh, okay. I was waiting for the scene where she's just trying to order food at a restaurant. She's like, and then my mother, she... Tear rolls down cheek. <laughs> Are you sure you can't give me the salad without croutons? Yeah. Oh, and then she also tells Lyle, don't tell anybody what that that you're doing this. And Lyle's like, okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, she says, don't don't tell anybody because then the next scene will be wacky. Yeah. <sighs> It'll make the next scene wacky. So then Chuck meets with Jim Morrison again, and he's like, your pal is hanging around with leftist communist guerrilla groups. We just saw one of their agents come out of your hotel room with him in it and she was disheveled and we think they got up to the bang bang and um yeah i think your 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 friend's a, a communist and chuck's like no that's impossible and he's like no it's possible and of course in the movie it has to be possible because we can't have this film without the two lead characters distrusting each other for no goddamn reason at all whatsoever <laughs> So where do they go from here, Steve? Is the movie over now? Yeah, the movie's over and we can stop talking about it. Awesome, that's great. Where <laughs> do they was, go? <laughs> I was just kidding. Um, we're, God damn you. We're not even halfway through. Um, okay, just so they me. go They go to the market, right? Don't they go to the... Uh, no, they, they leave oh, no, their hotel no. room yeah, Chuck, and uh, everybody in the world tries to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There's that. Yeah. There's that. Uh, Remember there's Max like a, Headrooms there, and he's like, yeah. "Okay, 
the ones that are dressed like American tourists are the Arabs and That's right. the ones that are dressed like cowboys are working for the emir and our guys are dressed like sand people and I don't remember what it is but there's a lot of people trying to grab these two guys because I guess everyone thinks that they have the map because the map apparently is incredibly important because whoever has the map um, controls the spice who then controls the universe I don't know I never it was never made clear yeah. how important the why map, this look, map the map so is important. important I think the indicate I think what they were saying was people in the Middle East are so backwards superstitious and dumb that if someone came forward with a map saying that two messengers are here to tell us that the emir is bad you'll all just follow him and that person will have power that's the, that's what they were trying to indicate that this dirty cloth is going to... What were you going to say? And, and that is why, in a nutshell, American foreign policy in the Middle East has always been a failure. <laughs> because we, we didn't play into their superstitions and beliefs? <laughs> exactly. We need to find these maps first and exploit the primitive uh, beliefs that surround them. I guess... Anyway, so there's lots of people getting shot with silenced pistols, and they run into a kid who's like, I can get you away. And they climb up onto the rooftops, and they're doing a bunch of Aladdin shit, running around, <laughs> escaping from people. I believe and the he, script actually describes it in that. As Aladdin the action shit. says, and then they do a bunch of Aladdin shit. On the DVD menu, that's what it says when you get to this scene. <laughs> scene Aladdin 15, shit. the Aladdin shit, you know. No, this is scene 980 at this That's, point. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is seven <laughs> hours long. <laughs> Eric von Stroheim saw this and said, you need to cut this down. So we get to... They, uh, well, the guy gets him to a Jeep and he says, we need to get to the camel market. And he's like, okie dokie, boss. <laughs> and he drives them away. And then we cut to the palace of the emir. And, uh-oh, Jim Morrison is there and... The CIA is bad, and they're like, hey, we're going to help you out squash this rebellion against you, despite the fact that you're a despotic leader, uh, because we don't want you to align yourself with uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, and uh, we'll do, yeah. And he's like, you got to kill those two Americans, because they're the prophets, I guess. And he's like, oh, um, sure. All right. This is actually the only believable part of the film. I honestly <laughs> believe that the CIA will uh, will do just about anything to keep despots in, in place. <laughs> Friendly um, despots. Exactly. Um, and apparently everyone knows about this map and the prophecy and all this other stuff. I, I don't understand how the... Is the map like a voucher? It's like, this proves it, see? Yeah. Before it was just a rumor, but now we know for a fact because some idiot drew on a piece, uh, a piece right. of uh, cloth 5,000 years ago or 500 years ago it's or however long like it was. the certificate of authenticity. <laughs> like, oh, he's got the map. Let him through. And no one knows. No one At this point, no one really knows where the map is. I don't know where the map is. Do you know where the map is? No. Where no the fuck knows. is the map? I don't know. I know where the map is, and it is infuriating when we find out. Oh, yeah, we do find out eventually. We'll get to that. Um, Anyway, (laughs) um, so they get to this 
market and they split up again and Chuck goes up into a hotel room to enter a fugue state <laughs> and Lyle is in search of his blind camel and while Chuck is up in this hotel room boy girl is back and she's got a submachine gun and she is going to kill Chuck because Chuck was talking to the CIA guy and she's like, no, the CIA guy is working for the Emir, and the Emir is bad, and so now you've got to die. And somehow <laughs> he convinces her that he's a good guy and um, stuff. Oh, she cries. She cries again. Surprise. <laughs> And oh, but he still can't talk to Lyle about anything because you got to promise me, you know, so many damn prom promise me this promise. Don't ever talk, blah blah, whatever. <laughs> and so they come comes back out, and Lyle's got a blind camel, and he's dressed yeah. like an Arab. He's and got, by like, the way, robes the, on and... the camel is the only natural comedian in this entire goddamn movie. Yes. Because it was the only time that the camel was doing stuff that made me laugh. And what was the camel doing? Arbitrarily running into people. He's just running people over. <laughs> just knocking shit over. <laughs> um, so, Lyle's like, no, we gotta... Okay, so... You keep, oh, God, I can't even remember. So, Groden decides, hey, we can't shoot Americans because that would be bad. I'll figure out a way to kill him. So his plan is, get Chuck... Give him canteens, give him a compass, and say, go south, go southeast into the desert, and you'll find an oasis, and we'll meet you there. When in actuality, there's nothing out there, and he's leading him out there to go die. Awesome. Finally, the movie has a hero. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, go for it. Yes. Kill him. I don't care about Ishtar. I don't care about the rebels. I just want the movie to be over. <laughs> Come on, you're a CIA dude. Just jab him with a poison dart or something. Just let him die. Put some black bags over their head and disappear them. Yeah. But at the same time, while Lyle is changing out of one set of robes into another set of robes, which I didn't understand, Boy Girl shows up and she's like, okay, you're going to go out to the desert, but as you're going, drop one of these beads as you go, and at night they glow in the dark, and then you can follow the beads yeah. back to the city. When in truth... There's no fucking such thing as a naturally glowing anything that, that just happens to glow <laughs> at night. But Lyle buys it. Oh, she also tells him there's no wind in the desert. Yeah. And the uh, the, the buzzards or the animals won't bother you. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like. The, the animals won't eat the seeds and, you know. Yeah. Because apparently now the gorillas think that they have to die too. And so now everyone just wants them dead. And so they go off into... Uh, they go off into the desert to die. The end. That should be the end of the <laughs> and movie, it's right? The, it's just like the end of greed. So. <laughs> only, it, only, only it's way more cheerful. I just want to think about greed for a little yeah. while because I'll be happier after I get done thinking about it. <laughs> um, so then they're 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 in the desert and they start having arguments and the camel doesn't want to go anywhere and they, they're being tracked by the CIA to make sure that once their little cursor stops moving that means they've died in the desert heat and um, they I can't remember do they they spend one night out there yeah they. Uh... 
Well, yeah, they they doesn't the uh, one of they have some kind of a, a fight or or something. D- Dustin Hoffman falls down and he's like exhausted from walking. Yeah, and... they, these guys suffer from periodic fatigue states, which only last a couple of minutes. Yeah, because almost instantaneously, every time one of these guys would fall down from fatigue and heat, they would pop back up because something happened. Right. Oh, the uh, uh, the, the plot's moving again. I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. And then vultures come. And don't kill them. Um, lots of things don't kill these two. As many things that want these guys dead, nothing nothing kills them. And uh, I guess they do one night in the desert. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because then the next the next morning, don't they they find the the uh, like the gun runners? Uh huh. The next yeah. yeah. We oh before we can do that, I have oh, to give sorry. A, a a trigger warning. For people who are watching the movie, prepare for racism, yes. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Just when you were starting to think that racism couldn't be funny anymore. <laughs> Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> they come across these, I guess they're South African or Australian. I'm thinking South African. These gun runners who are yeah. trying to sell guns to the desert people. And they don't have a translator. And so... Uh, through hijinks, the, uh, Warren Beatty, who's completely dressed up in in garb, um, and only his eyes are showing, goes down first to go see if they have water. But then they call down Dustin Hoffman, who's dressed like Michael Jackson <laughs> or the Karate Kid, or take your pick. I don't know, a dancer from from Solid Gold, whatever. <laughs> He's dressed like and, one of the kids from Fame. <laughs> uh, when they're like 20 years over the hill. They call him down and they're like, can you speak English? Yes. Can you translate? He's like, yes. And now we get to hear Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> slur an entire people. Yeah, slur an entire people <laughs> by imitating, by pretending to be an Arab. And there's screaming, and just, it goes on forever. <sighs> God, I know. And their whole sole purpose was to get water, which doesn't happen, because then the CIA guys see the little blip on their radar thing that says, oh, they stopped moving, they must be dead, they send a helicopter out to check it out, it scares away the gun runners and all the other guys, and they're like, nope, they're still alive. Um, Charles Grodin says, okay, we're going to send a... I mean, you go out there and you take a gun and you shoot them. And make sure, because the, the emir's like, I want them dead. Didn't I say I want them dead? And look, I got Qaddafi right on the phone. Hello, Qaddafi, how are you? He says he's fine. Should I j- join forces with him, or are you going to kill these two American guys? And Charles Grodin's like, fine, I'll go. That didn't actually happen in the movie, guys. He was not on the phone with him. It would have been way, but, it would have been the funniest scene in the movie. But it would have been a, funnier. <laughs> What's that, Qaddafi? <laughs> Um, oh, and in their haste, the gunrunners left a whole bunch of guns behind. And so Lyle and Chuck... Oh, by this time, Lyle and Chuck know that they what's been going on. They've told each other who they've been working for, and you're working for a leftist communist, and you're working for the CIA. And they're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing it for the money. And convoluted, convoluted, convoluted. Everything's out in the open. Um, again, they almost die from... They're, they're crawling through the desert at this point. But then a helicopter comes back, and all of a sudden they spring up and they have energy again. <laughs> Enough to run around um, and avoid getting shot. Um, and then 
Uh, helicopter goes down. Guy's gonna shoot him. They get a gun. They shoot back at him. Guy's like, oh no, they've got guns. Charles Gordon goes, okay, I'm gonna send a gunship out with you, and we're just gonna blow him away. I don't care anymore. <laughs> Charles and Gordon then, wants the movie to be over too. Oh, oh, and we forgot the scene. Okay, so oh Justin yes, Hoffman is taking his coat, which isn't his coat, and tied it over his head. Because remember, he traded coats with uh, what's her face? Yeah. With with boy girl, and apparently he tied it uh, the inside out so that the lining is facing out. And apparently, boy girl's brother sewed the map into the lining of the coat, and uh, that's where the map's been the whole time. Is, the map isn't that, that brilliant des- screenwriting? The map that she's been desperate to find, the map that she's been looking everywhere for, was it inside the lining of a coat that she wore that she put on probably more than three or four times never noticed that the map was in the lining of the goddamn coat <laughs> she's just a girl whatever dude so they're so that, in the desert yeah the gunship comes the, back the gunship comes back the gunship and the other the, helicopter yeah the other comes helicopter back. comes back the gunship is there but then somehow I don't, don't ask me how this happened. No one knows. The kid from earlier who drove them to the market comes driving out in his Jeep and is like, I'm so glad I found you. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Do you have any idea of how unlikely it is that just driving around a desert looking for these idiots that you would manage to find them? But apparently he found them. And, oh, he's got a paying customer. Who is it? It's Boy Girl. Isn't that great? So Boy Girl's there. She's had to change her heart about killing them. She's, like, all upset, despite the fact that she's allied herself with a guerrilla group that probably routinely kills people. <laughs> and they get their guns, and and the gunships are coming, and they're like, we're going to kill these guys. And then they start shooting guns at them, and grenades, yeah. and a machine gun, and a, and a rocket launcher, and uh, the helicopter guy goes, no, I don't like this. This is there's guns and they're shooting at us and Charles Grodin just goes no, no okay fine this is a scrub the mission is over because you know they give up that easy <laughs> they, after five minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking get out of there and they're like yay you know Lyle and Chuck are like yay and then we cut to their agent who now has the map they mailed the map to their agent in New York. And he's talking to the CIA guy. He's talking to Jim Morrison. And he's like, listen, um, we're not going to sell the map to anybody. Maybe if you agree to social reforms in Ishtar. And also you have to... I don't want to say it. You have to... I don't want to hear it. Okay. I don't want to well, say this it. Is I don't want to hear it. This is going to be difficult. <laughs> Fine. Dead air from here on out. Goodbye, everybody. I just... I, it hurts me to have to say this. They will not sell the map to anybody so long as they get social reforms in the country of Ishtar and that they allow Rogers and Clark to get a record deal and uh, what get signed to a label and a and, whole bunch of yeah, other music. Promote shit. their album, yeah. And promote their album. Because that's the American dream to get the CIA. 
took back your musical career. And you're thinking, oh great, the movie's over. Nope. Uh, now we now we have to go back to, uh, what was it called? Shea Casbah? Yeah. Cat, no, Shea Casablanca. Shea Casablanca. Because you want to remind people of better movies in your, yeah. in your movie. Always, always reference good films in your shitty films. Good job. <laughs> so they, they have uh, army dudes and guys, I guess, on leave. And they've been forced into this club to listen to these guys play their original songs. And uh, Boy Girl is there, finally dressed like a girl. And um, their agent is there. And uh, they start playing one of their songs. And you're like, oh, good, the, the movie's over. They're going to end with one of their songs. No. No, they've, they've got to do a medley of their god-awful fucking music. Because this joke has not been beaten into our head enough. We've got to close with... Well, how many How many songs do they do? Three? Three, I think. Four? Yeah. Maybe, maybe four. I think at least three. Yeah, at least three. And I was like, we get it. They're awful. Just end the movie already. And guess what? It couldn't be a scene without Boy Girl without her crying for no reason. She starts crying because she thinks they're wonderful. Now, I would like to reinstate. These men did nothing. Nothing. They didn't fight for anybody. They didn't do anything. They just wandered around while things happened to them. They had no development. There was no story arc for them. They influenced no one. The only thing they managed to do was send a map to their agent who blackmails the CIA and a, a, a Middle Eastern government into doing social reforms. There's your happy ending. The two jerks, who, who talent, untalented jerks, get a record contract. The end movie is their posters up in a, in a, up in a, a thing with Peter Gabriel's So album right next to it yes. being advertised next to it. The fucking end! God damn it! I gave you a chance, movie. I gave you a goddamn chance. And this is how you pay me back. <laughs> Steve? I loved it. Oh, you <laughs> mother! <laughs> I... Okay, look, I had never... <laughs> oh, honey. I had never... Don't you honey me. Sweetheart. I had, um... I had never, I, I had never seen the movie before. I watched it for our review here, so I was neither going have first, I. just like you. Yeah, um, I knew it by reputation, and I thought, you uh -huh. know, and you know, like just like you, I thought, man, well, it can't be this bad. Yeah, and it's the thing about it is that it's just so fucking tedious. Yeah, I mean, and there's a rule. There's a rule that we like to use in theater, and I, it applies to movies too. Be good. Be bad, but don't be boring. Yes. And this movie is it's not that it's it's not that it's inept because it's mm -mm. you know, it's it's competently made. The the you know, Elaine May knows how to direct a movie. Obviously she didn't she could have done a lot better, but yeah. you know, it's not like incompetent. It's not embarrassingly bad in terms of its technical ability or, you know, its 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 mechanics, that sort of thing. No. But technically it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's but it's just so fucking boring. Nothing happens in this movie that is remotely interesting. None of the jokes are funny. A few of them you can, as you described when we were going through the pot, you could see how they might be funny. Yeah. They're, they're funny in principle, but they're not funny mm -hmm. in execution. It's just fucking death for nine, for a hundred minutes. It's just, <laughs> it's just sitting there for a hundred minutes 
waiting for something interesting or funny or exciting or something to happen, and it just and never fucking happens. happens. They, yeah. and, you know, a lot of it has to do. A lot of it has to do. The script is there. Like I said, there are kernels of really funny things in the script, and I can't couldn't help but wonder as I was watching this: could this movie have been saved had they actually had people with comedic talent as the two main leads? There's nothing. I have nothing against Dustin Hoffman. He's a fine actor. Oh, of course not. Okay, yeah. but just because you're a good dramatic actor does not mean that you're a good comedic actor. And you know, he he fares better than Warren Beatty does. Warren yeah. Beatty seems completely out of his element. He he seems like a soccer player that's been stuck, put in left field, and had a glove shoved on his hand and say, "Just do your best." Do your best. I know you don't understand anything about the the, the the game of baseball. Probably never seen a game before, but you'll you'll pick it up. He he just. He, there are I so think many. He thinks he's being funny, but I don't see that that's not there. No, there there are, there are so many just odd decisions that you know that that are evident in this movie. Like the the characters, the main characters have no real characters they have no stories they have no arc they have no goals they have nothing nope. that, that we as an audience member can sort of latch on to so mm. we can have some rooting interest for them in the story so and I, I noticed that and I think well maybe they were counting on you know the the star power to carry it maybe they thought well we'll be invested in these characters because it's Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman but then yeah. they cast them both against type so yeah. it doesn't feel like you're watching Warren Beatty or Dustin Hoffman because they're not no. playing characters that those two actors are typically known for playing. So you can't even relate to it for that. You yeah, don't they're even not look... even playing to their strengths. No, not... so there's just nothing. There's just nothing here. It's there's just and nothing the, and here. also I would like to say that the, the script, the the story itself is disjointed. When I made that joke about how where the movie should have started, which was the discovery of the scroll. I always have a pro problem with prophecies in films because it kind of like, oh God, there's a prophecy and now we're, and then you basic, when you have a prophecy, you basically spoil the movie. Yeah. Okay, when you have a prophecy at the beginning of the film and it says, two men will come from the blah, 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 blah. It's not fun for me at any rate. To go, oh well, those two men must mean these two jerks, and that they're and what happened in the prophecy is going to happen. That's not that, that's not fun. It's it's not it's not a good way to tell a story. But if they're going to have it in there, you need to open the damn film with that. You don't yeah. start with these two idiots, and then again, you're like, okay, this is kind of like a New York film about these two losers who are struggling to be singer songwriters, and then immediately jump to a desert scene. And an archaeological dig. And, yeah. and Imagine if the desert scene, the archaeological dig at the beginning of The Exorcist had had shown, had played like 20 minutes into the movie. You know? It, yeah, it makes exactly. no sense. And, then, yeah, there's, and there's the flashback, like we meet them, and then they, and then they flash Which back. Which was unnecessary. And I mean, the first 20 minutes of this film are completely unneeded. We could have established everything about what we needed to know about these characters on the flight to Morocco. That's all we needed. We didn't need this gigantic backstory about how they're losers. We get it. They're losers. <laughs> you know how we know? Because they think they're great and they're awful singers. But that joke keeps getting hammered into us time and time and time again. We don't need it repeated. We know that they don't have any clue as to how bad they are. All right? We don't... 
it, it just seems like they had that was the only note they had for these characters and, they, and, and there's a part of me that's like are they writing for time? Did they need to fill this out to 107 minutes? There's, you know what? There are some bits that feel that way. Like, yeah. remember how belabored that bit about Warren Beatty mispronouncing the word schmuck is? Like, that goes on for like five minutes, and it's <laughs> and it's not remotely funny. And no, they just keep beating not. it. It's like, why? Why are you still doing this? This isn't mm-hmm. funny. He's like, no, you say shh, and then muck, schmuck, say it together, smuck. And he's like, oh, this isn't funny. It wasn't funny the first time somebody did it in the Poconos at at a a resort nightclub 80 years ago. It's not funny. Mm -mm. Especially not in the hands of these two comedic geniuses. Oh, my God. Um... So yeah, you know, I, I like I said, I was willing to cut this movie slack. I was willing to say it can't be as bad as everyone says it was. I was willing to say maybe there are some things in it that I could recommend to people. No, fuck it, fuck this movie. It deserves everything, every bit of of scorn that this movie generated is deserved. And I'm not talking about the backstory about all the problems they had with production and how they went over budget and blah blah blah. I tried to separate all of that to what is the finished product. And the finished product is awful. It failed on its own merits. It was a bad movie. It was not maligned by the studio. It was, you know, and it's not maligned now because of word of mouth or whatever. And if there are people out there that think that this is a hidden gem or not as bad as everyone thinks it is, those people are lunatics and (laughs) you need to stay away from them because they're going to tell you other bad things. Those are the people that eat lead paint chips and say that leaded lead poisoning is is a myth from the government. And I wanna, no, don't yeah, go go for it. The idea of uh people who are like apologists for this movie who yeah. th- who think that it's, you know, a really really good movie and it's just been misunderstood or whatever. I'm not unsympathetic to that because there are movies that I really like that lots of people think are garbage. Yeah, boy, you are. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you carry torches for a couple of movies. Yeah, I do. So I'm. I mean, I sort of. I'm sympathetic to that. But when I watch Ishtar, I just. I. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I. It's not visually extraordinary. It's Mm-mm. not terribly well acted. It's not well written. It's just. Yeah. There's just. I just don't get what people who like it are holding on to. And it's, maybe they just love the idea of it being bad. I don't know. Maybe it's not laughably. It, the, the problem is, is that it's not laughably bad. It's not like you can chuckle your way through it. No, it's, it's just, not. It's, it's just well, it's, awful. It's a. It's the worst kind of shitty movie. It's a failed comedy, mm-hmm. and failed comedies usually, except in extreme cases, usually aren't even good for the mystery science theater treatment. No, they're not. Because they're, not. they're just... In fact, I think of all the years they did Mystery Science Theater, I think the only time, at least the only time that I can think of, that they ever did a comedy on that show as the movie they were riffing was Catalina Caper. Yeah. And yeah. it's... I mean, it's a, it's an okay episode. It's a, it's a decent episode of Mystery Science Theater, but it's not one of the all-time classic episodes because it's just... It's, I think it's, it's difficult to riff on a movie that is already trying and failing to be funny. And that's what Ishtar is. It's it it it's it it wants to be this you know action adventure comedy. Yeah. And it just fucking sucks. It just sucks. It just <laughs> it's not a good movie. 
you will be if you love movies you'll be angry at the end of it you, if you bother to go see it yes. people you're not missing a damn thing you're not missing anything don't take the risk of saying I might like it you will never get that time back and you will live with regret and on your deathbed you'll be like I could have had two hours to do anything picking at your navel would have been more entertaining than watching this movie and you, I love bad movies. There are tons of bad movies that I love, but I love them because they're laughably bad, because they're entertaining in their badness. You know, usually when a drama fails at drama, it's hilarious. Yeah. Usually when a drama fails at drama, it's 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 funny. But like I said, this commits the sin of being boring. And, you know, that's, that's the death knell. There have been plenty of bad comedies out there. I mean... Recent memory, um, anything by Adam Sandler. Oh, God. <laughs> anything by Adam Sandler, or Mike Myers, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, the Love Guru, uh. I understand, is an abhorrent piece of garbage that should have been jettisoned <laughs> into the sun, along with Mike Myers himself. I believe that I, is actually a quote from the most positive review that the fan received. <laughs> I think that was the one that Mike Myers gave it. <laughs> Um, that was the quote that they pulled for the back of the DVD box. Exactly. An abhorrent piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love to say that this thing is such a piece of garbage that you could, that it would be, you know, that you would find it funny. But if that was the case, considering our internet culture as it is right now, people would be showing Ishtar and laughing their way through it. it there would be a bigger cult behind it. There would yeah. be this, you know, this kind of upset. It would be like The Room or, or you know... Um, one of those, uh, like Birdemic yeah. or something like that. But it ain't the but, room, and it's not Birdemic. No. <laughs> if you like watching the same joke, these two losers are are uh, caught up in some bullshit espionage thing. If, if that's if that's what you like, and you think that's funny, and you have an IQ of like sixty three, <laughs> um, congratulations on successfully getting onto the internet to hear this this podcast, and also. I'm going to recommend Ishtar to you because it's got a boob in it. It's your <laughs> one, kind of movie. One boob for a fraction of a second. That's it. That's all I have to recommend this movie is a fraction of a second of uh, Isabella Johnny's boob. That's it. There's nothing else in this movie. I like the camel. The camel was funny. <laughs> the camel had And its occasionally, moments. occasionally um, they would cut to the reaction shot. There was one reaction shot of... Someone watching them uh, sing, and it's this one guy in the back. You only see him for a couple of seconds, and his mouth is agape in horror, and I actually laughed at that. <laughs> but that's it. Nothing else. I want to pull my eyes out. That's my review. I do not recommend. I'm, I am wrapping this movie in yellow tape. Not even... Don't watch it on a dare. Don't even... If you're drunk and stoned and making poor decisions, going out in public or watching this movie, go out in public. Honestly, a night in jail is better than this. It'll be more entertaining. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Even if you can only remember half of it, it'll still be more entertaining than the 107 minutes you would have spent watching Ishtar. That's for damn sure. This movie is, is, is worse than waterboarding. <laughs> In fact, if they had tried to replace waterboarding with forcing detainees to watch this movie, they would have been told by the court to stop doing that, too. We would have won that freaking war. We would have won that freaking war. 
Okay, so that's it. I don't want to talk about Ishtar ever again or use words that have the sounds Ish or Tar in them. From here on out, our roads are paved with icky black stuff. <laughs> and if you want to say that something is like something else, you don't say Ish, you say Esk, like a sophisticated that's fucking right. person. <laughs> I'm no longer going to say I'm peckish, I'm going to say I'm peckesk. I'm not hungry, I'm hungresk. Steve, please tell me you have a better movie to recommend. Oh, I do, I do. Um, I am recommending a movie that, unlike Ishtar, is a successful spy comedy. Uh, actually, it's probably my favorite spy comedy. It is the uh, uh-huh. the follow-up film to one of my favorite... Really, I was going to say one of my favorite comedies. One of my favorite movies of all time, Airplane. This was the follow-up film <laughs> from the team that did Airplane. It's called Top Secret. Uh, it is a spy movie spoof. It's also a musical, which is something Ishtar kind of also sort of tries to be from time to time. And unlike Ishtar, it is incredibly entertaining and incredibly funny and succeeds at every level at which it tries to succeed. And it's just a really, really funny movie starring Val Kilmer. I think this was actually Val Kilmer's first role in a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's, Val Kilmer plays a, a, a musician, a rock star who becomes involved in Cold War intrigue. And that's the plot. But the the plot doesn't matter because it's like a spoof movie and it's just it, it lives and dies on the strength of the gags the gags are really funny uh i don't think it's quite as funny as airplane but it's right nipping at its heels so that is my recommendation a successful action comedy top secret good for you i'm gonna recommend a movie that these this movie was supposed to be an homage to and i guess they figured homage meant completely insult. Um, now these aren't everybody's cup of tea um, but they have are influential Um, they aren't the greatest movies in the world but I can guarantee you they're far more entertaining than the movie we just reviewed and that movie is Road to Morocco Bing Crosby Bob Hope and Dorothy Labore now for those of you who don't know uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby were a comedy duo and they made a number of films. Road to Morocco was one. Road to uh, Perdition. I <laughs> that was a dark one. That wasn't quite... They, they made The Road. <laughs> uh, say it, Bing. What are you doing over there? Where'd you get that little, where'd you get that little boy from, Bing? <laughs> you take on the cannibals, I'll save the day. <laughs> Um, And it's basically, you know, they need to get to Morocco and there's camels and deserts and they never leave the soundstage (laughs) at at the studio that they're making it at. And probably by lunchtime they were drinking at a golf course. Um, (laughs) They were made to make money and because Bob Bob Hope and uh, Bing Crosby were very, very popular. Um, And uh, it's, it's quaint, funny, and charming. Um, the dialogue is zippy and peppy. And here's the other thing. You actually believe that Bing Crosby and Bob Hope are friends. You never get that in this movie. You never buy no. for a second that these two idiots are actually friends. Although they are, they were in real life. I don't know how they managed to screw that up in the film. Oh, Ishtar, when will you stop ruining things? Anyway, that's my recommendation. Road to Morocco. You can go find it. It's a Paramount picture. It's got Dorothy L'Amour. 
And to which I will, again, um, support Bob Hope's appraisal of her, which is which is what he does for every woman, I think. I think he had a problem. <laughs> I, I think he had some sort of throat Tourette's. I just, he couldn't help it. He just couldn't communicate properly with women. He was, you know, he was one of those types of men. <laughs> Hi, this is Bob. I can't help myself hope. And I've got, I've got throat Tourette's. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if I tell a isn't joke that wild, with a, isn't that crazy? If I tell a joke with a punchline you don't like, I'm just gonna stare at you till you laugh at that <laughs> son of a bitch. Well, I'm actually not staring, I'm remembering all the people I killed during World War II or <laughs> I was in some shit and I mean some real shit. You know, Bob Hope has a picture in his or used to, he's dead. Bob Hope is dead. <laughs> he had a picture in his house. Of Patton pissing into the Rhine. Wow. Because Patton said, When I get up there, I'm going to piss in the Rhine. And that's exactly what he did. <laughs> and Bob Hope said, I mean, You got a picture of that? <laughs> Dave Thomas is probably the person most famous for doing an impression, doing one of the best impressions of Bob Hope uh, that he did on SCTV. Yeah. And he did Bob both as a younger guy when he was doing his USO stuff and his Bob Hope specials, and when he got older post-stroke Bob Hope. And Bob Hope had him over to the house and he showed him that picture. He was like, you want to, you want to see something wild? Look at that. That's that's Patton pissing in the Rhine. Would you like Would you like a half sandwich? That was the other thing. He kept offering him half, half a sandwich. Where are we going? I'm just trying to replace bad memories with good ones. That's my recommendation. Road to Morocco. Go see it. Never see Ishtar. The end. And if there are any movies that you guys would like us to review in the future, um, remember they have to be at least ten years old. Uh, fairly noteworthy. We're not a bad movie podcast, contrary to what we just fucking did. Please send us a thing. You know, one of those things. The comment. Leave it underneath the thing. Oh yeah, I need to tell you guys also. Um, the Lemmy, the Lemmy Listen podcast now has a, a, a its own website, and you can go to the website. There's a contact page, and if you want to leave a recommendation or just send us an email telling us how much we suck and how Ishtar is your favorite movie and how you bonded over, or bonded with your grandpa over it, and you always have pleasant, happy memories. Fuck you and your grandpa. <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if, by the way, if you want to do that, make sure you include your uh, social media information so I can block you. <laughs> But if you have a movie that you would like us to review, send it to us. We'll take it under recommendation. Uh, some people have sent us, uh, originally, we were going to do Fight Club, and uh, we decided to do this. <laughs> that turned out well. We are we are bad. There's something wrong with both of us, Steve. I, I will not blame you for the choice of this movie. This was also partially my idea. Yeah, yeah. We are partners in this. I could have just said Fight Club, man. <laughs> could have just said let's do fight club so that people could be angry at us over our review of fight club yeah well hey we can do that some other time yeah look at it this way we reviewed ishtar so we're only running the risk of the ire of a few mentally challenged people right not an entire generation of would-be movie snobs yeah when people google ishtar and they find this review they're gonna be going finally a good review of my favorite movie oh no they're making fun of it already <laughs> okay 
That's it from Late Seating. Until next time, this has been Jason Harding. And this is And been... go see it. I forgot. You oh, know sorry. what I forgot to do last week? I forgot to do my catchphrase. Oh, I got you... too involved in making sure that you do your catchphrase that I forgot mine. And well, you had a headache last week. No, oh, that's Or two true. weeks ago. Really... Whatever the last time we did this fucking thing was. I have a really bad... I had a really bad migraine last week, which has been replaced with a, a, a soul ache. There is a hole in my soul now where Ishtar lives. Um, okay, I'm going to do it again. Ready? We're going back. Yes. Okay. Until next time, this has been Jason Harding. And go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. And tell your friends about the podcast. Don't be a smuck. I hate you. No, it's 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 schmuck. Schmuck. Say, sh- say schmuck. Smuck. No, no, no. no. Say sh. Sh. And now say muck. Muck. Now put them together. Schmuck. Smuck. I hate you. (laughs) And that's how the movie should have ended. The movie should have ended, like, right there. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Late Seating is a Lemmy Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Music by Kevin McLeod. Produced by Jason Harding. You can find more Lemmy Listen podcasts at our website at www.lemmylistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes under Lemmy Listen. Please like and leave a review. And thanks for listening.